This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman, bringing clarity to Washington, D.C. news. We see corruption at every level in Washington, and it's in both parties. Exposing the deception plaguing our nation's capital. Not only what he told every Republican senator, but what he told the press over and over and over again was a simple lie. And helping Christians stay informed about government. Now, of course, this puts a bigger burden on voters to go figure out what's actually going on. Be sure to visit AFR.net or wherever you get your podcast to hear past episodes. This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman on American Family Radio. Welcome to Exposing Washington on the American Family Radio Network. Glad to have you with us uh, this Saturday afternoon. Glad to have you with us on the show. Check out our website, AFR.net. AFR.net. Check out our website, AFR.net. You can also download the podcast on various devices and platforms. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just type in Exposing Washington and you can catch the show there. Various ways to keep up with the show. Glad to have you with us. A couple of things we're going to talk about today. We'll talk about um, maybe some things to look forward to as we we're head into 2020. This being the first Exposing Washington episode of the year 2020. We'll talk about some things to look forward to. We're also going to talk about um, the economy. Maybe how uh, the White House is projecting the economy is going to do this year. And we'll talk about... What went on in Iraq this past week with the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad? We'll talk uh, through that, what the implications are. And uh, as I've explored before, we're going to talk about what on earth we're doing in the Middle East. We're going to ask that question and... And just and talk through that because you know th- that's the thing that often I think is is not covered enough or discussed enough enough and that is what what the U.S. strategy is in the Middle East. What are we doing over there? What's the goal? Where's the, what's the end game, if you will? What's the overall strategy in the Middle East? There's mixed signals, sometimes no signals at all, as to what the U.S. goal is. In the Middle East, so we'll talk about that, and a couple other things. We'll talk about border security, and uh, we'll talk about Joe Biden and how he wants to put fossil fuel executives in jail. That's a new one. Joe Biden wants to put fossil fuel executives in jail if he's elected in 2020. The first thing uh, I want to I want to talk about is what went on in in Iraq this past week at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Now, to get this all started, we had a U.S. contractor, a U.S. military contractor, died last week when Iranian-backed forces fired a missile at a compound, at a military compound in Iraq. Thus, the U.S. retaliated with airstrikes against Iranian-backed forces in Iraq and in Syria. Then you have Iranian-backed militants and mobs attacking our U.S. embassy in Baghdad. 
breaching the front gate, burning down buildings, destroying property, injuring people. And that just brings us to the to the the question that has to be discussed and that is what our overall goal is in the Middle East. But before before we jump into that, I'm going to play clip 3 here. This is a Fox News report on the situation that happened at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad this past week. Clip three, let's, let's listen. Officials at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad say there is no evacuation despite reported claims from Iraqi officials. But there are thousands of protesters there. They crowded, uh, carrying flags, many from Iran-backed militias, uh, into Baghdad's heavily guarded green zone where the U.S. has its largest diplomatic facility in the world. The Associated Press reports they smashed a main door and set fire to a reception area. The protest began after prayer services for the two dozen Iran-backed militia fighters killed in U.S. airstrikes over the weekend. President Trump has tweeted, quote, Iran killed an American contractor, wounding many. We strongly responded and always will. Now Iran is orchestrating an attack on the U.S. embassy in Iraq. They will be held fully responsible. In addition, we expect Iraq to use its forces to protect the embassy and so notified. Well, there you have it. That's a Fox News report on what's going on in uh, in Iraq at the U.S. Embassy, what, the events that led up to it. But the, what I want to get at today is this. We have to debunk or really we just have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be what I like to call a realist on what we're doing in Iraq, what we're doing in Afghanistan, what we're doing in Syria. We have to ask ourselves, is it possible to nation build? Because that's what we're trying to do over there. We went into these countries to eradicate terrorism, which I'm not sure why no one ever raised this concern, but you're never going to fully eradicate terrorism. And, and the Middle East is a perfect example. You go in, you spend trillions of dollars, thousands of U.S. soldiers die, and we temporarily destabilize the region and the terrorist cells, and then you leave and they, they, they spawn back up. And this cycle happens over and over and over again, not to mention the reality that we fund these Islamic offshoot groups, these different militias. We fund them so that they'll kill the terrorists. Well, then the groups that we just funded and armed, they end up turning into terrorists. And so you have all this chaos, no real agenda, no overall strategy in the Middle East. Not to mention we're trying to nation build. And the problem with nation building, specifically in the Middle East, is that the people who make up the Middle East, the people who make up Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, other countries around that region, the people who make it up are Muslims. The vast majority, now they might be different parts of the Muslim faith, they might be different sects, sects, but they but they're all Muslims. That's the that's the common theme here. 
And the Islamic religion and the cultural framework allows little room, little to no room, I would argue, for Western ideals such as freedom and economic prosperity. These ideals have no place in the Middle East. The, if you haven't realized, the Islamic faith is one of oppression, one of, of, of a strong arm. And this whole idea that we're going to build up, we're going to build a free society in the Middle East. Who are we kidding? The most free society in the Middle East is Israel. And the vast majority of that population is Jews. And so we're, we're, we're in Iraq, we're in Afghanistan, trying to nation build. We've been there over a decade, spent trillions of dollars, and it's going nowhere. And so my argument here is that at some point, we just have to get out. At some point, we just have to get out. And as I've always said, we need to protect Israel. And if that means launching military operations from Israel into these other countries to prevent them from invading Israel, I'm all for that. If we, we, we have all kind of technology and weapons and bombs where we don't need U.S. Marines, thousands of them, on the ground in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan. But nonetheless, we're still in the Middle East. Uh, a fellow by the name of Joe Kent, who's a U former U.S. Uh, special operator, 20 years in the military, 11 combat deployments, he wrote a chief warrant officer, Joe Kent is his title. He's retired now. But he wrote a very lengthy op-ed on the foxnews.com website where he fleshes out the, the struggle that we see here in the Middle East, and basically he fleshes out how we got here, where we are now, and where we're going. And one interesting part of this is that many of these forces that we're fighting, that the many of the forces that are killing U.S. troops, many of them, the U.S. once funded the U.S. gave weapons to. Joe Kent here also goes on to talk about how we need to leverage sanctions on Iraq. Because, see, we're trying to build up the Iraqi government, but at the same time, the Iraqi government doesn't like the U.S. As a matter of fact, the Iraqi government... Their parliament has passed multiple resolutions demanding that the U.S. leave Iraq. And here we are spending billions of dollars in Iraq, and who knows where that money goes, to build up a country when the very people of that country do not want us there. Are there some Iraqis who want freedom, who want the Americans there? Yeah, there's some, but obviously the majority do not want U.S. involvement in Iraq. And the very fundamental thing that no one can answer is why we are in Iraq. What is the end goal? 
of being in Iraq, no one can seem to answer that question. And the, the, the only thing close to a logical answer is that we need military insta installations to defend against Iran and other bad actors. And I would argue that we can do that from allied countries such as Kuwait, which we're already doing, and uh, Qatar and other uh, uh, allied countries like that, Saudi Arabia and Egypt. Nonetheless, uh, Washington, D.C. looking at possibly getting in an armed conflict with Iran, and we all know that that's not going to end very well. It's going to get us farther involved in the Middle East when we don't need to be. Moving on to a good news item out of Washington, D.C., President Trump announced this week that he is going to be signing phase one of a trade deal with China in mid-January, January 15th is the date. And this is a big deal because the U.S. has been trying to reach a trade agreement with China for over a year now, and it seemed like we keep hitting, uh, we, we kept hitting speed bumps and there was no agreement. We couldn't agree on any terms, and it looks like China and the U.S. will at least sign phase one of a trade deal with uh, the U.S. Along those same lines, I'm going to play clip two here. This is White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro on what we can expect out of the economy, out of the Trump economy heading into 2020. Clip two, let's listen. You got to look at the four drivers of the economy and the GDP engine. And right now they're hitting on all cylinders. You start with uh, the consumer. This consumer, uh, because unemployment's so low, wages are rising, optimism is high. This consumer is going to be the anchor of the economy in 2020. So that's number one. Uh, number two, on the trade front, uh, we've got five trade deals now in place. Five trade deals covering trade of well more than half of what uh, what we trade in, inter in the inter international arena. Japan, South Korea, China, Canada, and Mexico. So that's going to be a boon for our exports. And then the sneaky little thing, <laughs> I'm telling you, David, this, this is like, this sealed the deal for a great 2020. When Congress passed the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, coupled with the appropriations bill and basically um, got government uh, as going to be one of the engines and drivers uh, of growth, particularly in something that I uh, work on a lot, the defense industrial base. Mm. And then investment, which is the fourth right. part of the puzzle here. Uh, now that we have all these trade deals in place and this economy is booming, now that the American economy is by far the best place to be, yeah. um, investment's going to boom. Well, there you have it. That's uh, Peter Navarro, White House Trade Advisor, on various good things to look forward to when it comes to the economy in 2020. And one thing he did mention, what's important, is the finalization of the United States-Mexico-Canada uh, Trade Agreement, which Congress is actually set to pass if they haven't already, and President Trump will sign the USMCA as a trade law, a trade bill, which will make it official heading into 2020, which this USMCA deal will help some of the uh, sectors that have been hurting through the tariffs, uh, which will be mainly the farmers and some of the auto industry. But the USMCA will be finalized heading into 2020. Then you have the Chinese trade deal, at least part one of it being finalized. So President Trump continues to renegotiate all of these a previous and, and poorly negotiated trade deals 
that have been agreed on in past administrations, President Trump uh, renegotiating those to help our country. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, I want to head into uh, play a clip one here. This is Tom Holman, who's the acting uh, Immigration Custom Enforcement Director, and he's talking about the foothold that the that the drug cartels have in Mexico and even uh, in the U.S. when it comes to the effect they're having on our country. Let's listen to clip one. That's really interesting. And so what is the official process by which Mexico would be labeled an unsafe country? How does that, who decides that? Well, there certainly would be some judge that the ACLU in America. shot for. Yeah. And it would certainly be some judge. You know, we all know they judge shop. Yeah. So it would certainly be that. That's why this president's not going to wait. He's saying, okay, you have, a, you have a violence problem in Mexico? We can fix it. Mexico's shown for 30 years they can't address these cartels. Yeah. Cartels run Mexico. There's a lot of corrupt law enforcement in Mexico, unfortunately. There's corrupt military and there's, there's corrupt politicians. We've proven we can do this in Panama. We did it with Noriega. We did it in uh, Colombia with El Chapo. Let, let the United States go down there, take mm-hmm. the lead on this with Mexico's help. Mm-hmm. Let us attack the cartels. Let's prosecute them here in this country. We can, we can, we can put a hurt on them mm-hmm. by attacking their financial infrastructure, their transportation infrastructure. We can help Mexico succeed. I, I, I say it again. These cartels don't respect the border. Mm-hmm. A dangerous Mexico is a dangerous U.S. Well, there you have it. That's, uh, that's Tom Holman, the ICE director, the acting ICE director, on the U.S. cartel and their, their, their foothold in Mexico. And it's very, very bad situation there that really doesn't get much attention. But the cartels basically run Mexico. I mean, the, the government is corrupted because the cartels pay off the government employees, the government leaders. And, you know, if there's, if there's something I'm, I'm favor, in favor of getting involved in, it's defeating the cartels. And that's one thing that if President Trump were to declare the cartels, some of these cartels, foreign terrorist organizations, such as ISIS, Hamas, and others, well, then he could leverage sanctions from the Oval Office against these cartels, which would completely destabilize their financial backing. Because, you know, what oftentimes people don't realize is that these cartels use the same banks that you and I do. Not exactly, but, but cartels use modern banking systems across the world, across South America, Central America, North America. And they do so with 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 no uh, nothing in the way, no barriers. And that's why President Trump has at least threatened to label some of these cartels foreign terrorist organizations, so that we could more effectively fight the cartels. And if you want to know, you know, whether the cartels are hurting our country or not, or not, you just look around. The vast majority of the of the illegal drugs that are brought into America are brought in through the southern border. That's a fact. Brought in through the southern border, oftentimes brought in through our ports of entry, our legal ports of entry. They're just smuggled through. And so Tom Holman there talking about how the cartels have a stranglehold on the Mexican government. And, you know, President Trump's going to have to do something about this because 
You know, no, no, no U.S. administration has been able to break the backs of the cartels. And we had that story just a few weeks ago about the U.S. Uh, U.S. citizens who seven of them who were killed in Mexico by the cartels. And if you live, if you're anyone who lives on a border state like Texas and others, then they they realize the problem that these drug cartels uh, wreak on these uh, on on southwestern southeastern uh, I mean southwestern states and states in the south like Texas who border Mexico big big problems down there and Tom Holman there explains. Another thing I wanted to shift uh, and talk about is I want to play this clip. This is clip five. This is Joe Biden, former vice president, now running for president in 2020, still in the Democrat primary. And he apparently seems to be the front runner. But Joe Biden here, clip five, talking about what he would do if he gets elected to the Oval Office, what he would do to people who work in the fossil fuel industry. Let's listen. You have to set sort of guide rails down now. So between the years 2021 and 2030, it's irreversible, the path we've set ourselves on. And one of which is doing away with any subsidies for fossil fuels, number one. Number two, holding them liable for what they have done, particularly in those cases where you're underserved neighborhoods and you, you know the deal, okay? And by the way, when they don't or when they're deliberate, put them in jail. That's what I, I I'm not joking about this. I'm not joking about this. Well, there you have it. So Joe Biden talking about putting peop, uh, executives who work in the fossil fuel industry, putting them in jail. And what I would ask is, what are you putting them in jail for? What crimes, what laws have they broken? What crimes have been committed? But only a Democrat can get away with stuff like this. Only a Democrat can get away with stuff like this. So we have all of this corruption under, under President Obama. You have the FBI make, uh, committing felonies, fabricating evidence to go after President Trump. You know, we've been all over all this. But no, that's not what we're focused on. We got to put fossil fuel executives in jail. For what? That's what no one asked the question, Mr. Biden, Mr. Vice President, what are you going to put businessmen in jail for? For simply operating a fossil fuel business? Not to mention at least 60% of America's energy comes from fossil fuels. So we're just going to eradicate that? Are we just going to be riding our bikes around to work? And that's what the media doesn't want to talk about is how whacked out these ideas are that the Democrats put forth. Another clip that I, I didn't bring today, but there's another clip out there of Joe Biden basically pulling another Hillary Clinton talking about how he's going to put coal workers out of work, how he's going to put coal miners out of a job. And if you want to set up the perfect formula to lose in 2020, then you run a campaign just like Hillary Clinton did, where she called Trump supporters a basket of deplorables, and she told co-workers when she was at a coal plant that she was going to put them out of a job. 
And the person who is falling right in line with Hillary Clinton is Joe Biden heading into 2020. A couple more things uh, to talk about is uh, there's been word about Mike Pompeo, the U.S. Secretary of State, uh, about President Trump finding someone to replace him. But there's no word yet about what he's going to do. There was uh, there was some word about Mike Pompeo, the current Secretary of State, running for Senate, running for the Senate seat, the open Senate seat in Kansas. But Mike Pompeo has since said he's not doing that. And, uh, but there's no word on, on what's going on there. So maybe Mike Pompeo is going to stay. Maybe he's going to leave. Who knows? We'll just have to wait and see as we head into 2020. One last thing I want to talk about is Nancy Pelosi still holding on to the articles of impeachment, demanding that the Senate, uh, conduct a quote, fair trial, a fair trial to the Democrats means a rigged trial. And, this is just a very fascinating situation that we have here because the Democrats for months now, and really some of the Democrats for years now, even since before President Trump was sworn into office, some of the Democrats have been saying, we've got to get rid of President Trump. We've got to remove President Trump from office. He's a clear and present danger. He's got to go. So it was urgent. We gotta, we've got to impeach President Trump. Well, now, it's not so urgent. Nancy Pelosi says, well, I'm just going to hold on to the articles of impeachment, which, might I add, is unprecedented, but there's a lot of things about this that are unprecedented. But Nancy Pelosi, not sending over the articles of impeachment, which arguably... Most legal scholars will say that it's not an official impeachment until you send the articles over to the Senate, according to the Constitution. So we'll just have to wait and see where that goes. If you want to know more about the show, you can always check out our website, AFR.net, AFR.net. Another thing I want to mention is the uh, our app our application that you can download on your mobile device and on your Roku, on your Apple TV, on your Android device, various places to keep up with the show. You can always download the app at AFR.net forward slash app. AFR.net forward slash app is where you can download uh, that to keep up with all things American family radio another thing that is good to keep up with is our news service onenewsnow.com check it out onenewsnow.com is our online news service get news from a christian perspective there at onenewsnow.com exposing washington american family radio walker wildman here glad to have you with us today we'll be back next week with more of exposing washington
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.